I ran across a poem uh, this past week, well, a couple of weeks ago, about a, a person who had a conversation with the Lord about doing it his way or God's way. And I did not know when I was going to put that poem in my message, but I put it on the screen. Now, this is a conversation between a man and, and the Holy Spirit. And look what he said. I said, let me walk in the field. God said, no, walk in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers, but a crown. I said, but the sky is black. There's nothing but noise and din. But he wept as he sent me back. There's more, he said, there is sin. I said, but the air is thick, and smog is veiling the sun. He answered, yet souls are sick, and your work is yet undone. I said, I will miss the light, and my friends will miss me, they say. He answered me, choose tonight, if I am to miss you, or they. I pleaded for time to be given. He said, is it hard to decide? I, it, will it seem hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide? I cast one look at the field, then I set my face to the town. He said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? And then into his hand went mine, and into my heart he came. And I walk in a light divine, the path that I had feared to see. He chose to do it God's way. And that's exactly, sometimes we struggle whether it's going to be the flowers or the field or the town. May God give us the grace to choose his way. Let me pray for just a moment. Holy Spirit, make these words like a sword that goes to every heart like a hammer that breaks any stony place in our heart. May these words give encouragement as well as conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. As we face 2018, I want to speak to you about Holy, Holy Spirit living a Holy Spirit-filled and a Holy Spirit-led life. In other words, one day at a time, we live a life in 2018, filled with the Holy Spirit. And every day of 2018, we allow the Holy Spirit to meet the needs of our life. Because what we've got to realize is that we're to live our lives in light of eternity. That's right. Now, the here and now is very important. But there's more than the here and now. But you see, there's the then and there when we will one day give an account of ourselves to God. Oh, yeah, and living here and now, pleasing God, obeying God, that's very important. But you've got to understand that every day we're preparing for our encounter with God when we will meet him. It, is, it says in Hebrews uh, 9, 27, these words. It is appointed unto man once to die. By the way, that eliminates reincarnation. 
You're not going to come back as a fish or a, a, a snake or whatever else. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this a good time. Is that what it says? No. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. You know, I got back from uh, being visiting with my, my wife and I, our nine great-grandchildren, and uh, I finally said, well, will I ever have peace again? But, <laughs> but uh, when I got back, I had a phone call that a family that I'd known 20 years ago, that he was dying. And that he wanted, uh, his wife wanted me to come and visit him. She said, remind Brother Fred that 40 years ago, he asked Hollis if he was ready to meet God. And he said, no. He said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And said, now, here he is at 86 and on hospice. And I just want Brother Fred to come and, and just see if he's ready to meet God. Well, to be honest with you, I was tired, and I was kind of like, a, you know, I wasn't reluctant, but uh, I said, I'm going. I know I need to go. It's God's will when I go. But, you know, I, I've not had very many deathbed repentances. Most of the time when people get to that point, they're not rational, or their hearts have been hardened over the years because of sin. So I really did not know what to expect. And the lady met me at the door, and I knew her well. She was a very faithful member of, Luke, of a Cottage Hill Baptist. Was in the prayer room. She loved God. And she'd been praying for Hollis, her husband, for many years. And so I walked over to him, and he was laying there, and he was very cognizant and on oxygen. And I took my hand in his hand. I said, Hollis, do you know who this is? I said, this is your pastor. And he looked up at me and he reached his arm out and hugged me in my neck and pulled me down beside his face. And I said, this is going to be good. And I looked at him and said, Hollis, let me ask you a question. Are you ready to meet God? He said, no. No. I said, I want to ask you a question. Do you, do you want to be ready to meet God. And with tears flowing down his cheeks. He said pastor. I want to be ready to meet God. And I led him in a prayer of repentance. With tears in his eyes. And a brokenness in his heart. And I was broken because of wasted years. I was broken of all the years that had gone. Where God could have used him. But I tell you what. I watched God change a man. And save a man on his deathbed. And I tell you, I, I all of a sudden got to raising my hands and shouting. If they shout in heaven, it's always an all right shout on earth, isn't it? And I know in my heart, as late hour as it was, that he met the Lord. And I saw the joy of the Lord come over him. But you know, it leads me to ask the question to you today. As you face 2018, are you ready to meet the Lord? If you were to meet him today, what would be the result of your encounter with God? You see, we prepare, stay with me carefully, we prepare for the then and there by the way we live, the here and now. Here and now determines what takes place in the then and there. You know, the Bible says there are two judgments. It says, of course, I read the verse. And Hebrews 9, it is appointed 
unto man once to die. But after that, the judgment. Well, you say, well, Brother Fred, what's the judgment? The Bible is absolutely and unmistakably clear that there are two judgments. Now, the purpose of this message today is not to preach on them, but to show you how to live from the Word of God one day at a time so that you will be prepared to meet Him. The Bible speaks, first of all, of the great white throne judgment of people who died in their sin and who died without Christ. Listen, if a person lives their life, rejects Jesus Christ, dies in their sin, they're going to stand before God. It's not over when they die. Oh, no. They're facing eternity. Eternity. And 10,000 years, and it will just be started. So listen to the description of what happens when a person meets God and die, who has died in their sin. It says, I saw, this is Revelation 20, 11. I saw a great white throne and him who said it, said on it, from whose face heaven and earth fled away and there was found no place for them. You couldn't hide. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead who were in them. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged. Which appointed unto man once to die. And after that the judgment. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. There is a judgment of the lost. And when a person dies without Christ in their sin, they will stand before a holy God from whom there is no place to hide. And they will be judged according to their sin. And I believe there will be degrees degrees of punishment in hell. But you see, there's also another judgment. Not just the great white throne judgment. That a, a lost person has to prepare. Everybody has to prepare So they won't go to the great white throne judgment. The other judgment is one that I never heard much of when I was growing up in church. And that is the judgment seat of Christ. And that's the judgment of the saved. You say, well, Brother Fred, why are the saved going to be judged? We're not going to be judged for our sin. Because the Bible says that all of our sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross and were placed upon Jesus when he died And all of our sins were paid in full. You say, well, then why do we confess our sin? To confess means to agree with God. So if I do something or say something that's wrong, that sin has already been paid for. Because I placed my trust in Jesus. And he said my sins and iniquities he would remember no more. But the reason you confess it is to agree with God. God, I agree with you that that was a sin. And I thank you that Jesus Christ has already paid the price for it. But I just want you to know I agree that it's a sin and I repent. I turn from it. But you know, at the judgment seat of Christ, we're not judged for our sin, but for the way we serve the Lord. Uh, I mean, in Romans 14, 14, verse 7, I want you to listen to what it says. For none of us lives to himself. Now, you'll understand very quickly 
But this is talking about Christians, about believers, okay? None of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. Let me pause there a moment. You say, well, I'm just going to live for myself. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be led by my soul. I'm just going to live for myself. He said, well, let me something. He's a believer. Listen, no, none of us lives to himself. And no one dies to himself. Look on at the word of God. Whether we live, we live to the Lord. This is his children. Whether we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And for this end, Christ died. Well, why did Jesus die? For this end, Christ died, rose, and lives again, that he might be Lord of the dead and the living. And then he says, well, since God is going to judge us, why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all, stay with me now, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That is a real judgment. Not for our sins, but for the way we serve the Lord from the day we got saved to the day we go to be with Jesus. For it is written, as I... I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, this is pretty uh, conclusive, isn't it? So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. All right. The way we live in the here and now determines the response we have when we stand before God, whether it's the great white throne judgment and you die in your sins, or it is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, how do you prepare for the then and there? How do you prepare to meet God? How do you do that? Well, I'm going to say to you that it is spirit-filled and spirit-led living. That's the way you prepare. You don't prepare a week at a time or a month at a time. You prepare a day at a time. So today, which is Sunday, January the 7th, 1918. No, 2018. <laughs> My God. Lord have mercy. <laughs> I'm 100 years behind. <laughs> Today, January the 7th, 2018, I am going to prepare by, if I'm spirit-filled and spirit-led, then today I will be preparing in a way that pleases God to meet him someday. And so every one of us, so this is a merit, a, a message of encouragement, a message of, of, of instruction as to how we can live a spirit-filled and spirit-led life every day. Now, of course, you understand this, that you can't live a spirit-filled and spirit-led life unless you're saved. You know that. Well, let me give you a verse here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. It tells us how God provided a way for us to be saved, for our sins to be forgiven, and for us to be born again. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you that the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand. He said, Paul said, Now look, this is the gospel I preached. Good news, you received it, and you're standing in this. And this is what it is. By which you also are saved. This gospel shows you how to be saved. 
by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I prescribed to you, unless you believed in vain. Now here's the gospel. I delivered to you, first of all, that Christ, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then it goes on and says, in the next verse, and, and, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So he said, listen, let me tell you the gospel. Let me tell you how you're saved. Christ died for your sins. And God raised him from the dead, declaring him to be the son of God with power. And so you're saved through the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead. And so if you're going to live a spirit-filled life and a spirit-led life, you've got to be saved. You've got to acknowledge with a broken and contrite heart that you are a sinner. You've got to acknowledge with a broken and contrite heart that your sin has separated you from God. And acknowledge with a broken and contrite heart that you deserve judgment and hell. But then, with a heart full of faith, you rejoice that, but Jesus Christ died for my sin. He took my place. When he was on the cross, my sins were on him. And so therefore, since he died for my sin, I can come to him in repentance and faith and receive him as my Lord and my Savior, and all of my sins will be washed away. Christ will come and live in me. I will no longer be in the kingdom of darkness. I'll be in the kingdom of light. And that, I will, and that I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Let it be known to you, to you all and to the people of Israel but that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this, by this, by him, this man, the guy that did heal going into the temple, by him, this man stands before you whole. And then it goes on and says, let it be known to all of you and the stone which the builders rejected has, has become the chief cornerstone. And it goes on and says in the next verse, nor is there salvation in any other. Now, that means exactly what it says. He says, you crucified Jesus. God raised him from the dead. He's the chief cornerstone. By him, this man stands here healed. But I want you to understand. There's salvation in no other. It's not in circumcision. It's not in keeping the Jewish customs and laws. It's not in good works. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. So if we are going to live spirit filled. And spirit led lives. We have to have the assurance There's some things I don't know, but there's one thing I do know, that Christ lives in me and that I am in Christ. Now, if you know that, and there has been a change in your life, and there's fruit in your life that bears witness that you are a child of God, you are a new creation. And if you know that you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then you can now live a spirit-filled life. You know the amazing thing? When you got saved, if you are, 
God gave you a wonderful gift. I mean, a glorious gift. And it's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said, Repent, and that every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now listen to this. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. At conversion, at salvation, instantly, instantly, when you repent, Jesus Christ receives that repentance and comes to live in you. At that moment, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here is the amazing thing. Your body then becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you are saved, your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I remember, I, I, every time I get to this, I think about when I was hearing my good friend Adrian Rogers preaching. He said, where on earth did God, does God live? But back in the Garden of Eden, he lived in the hearts and the soul and the spirit of Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve sinned and God departed. And then God dwelt among his people Israel. He dwelt behind the veil and the Shekinah glory of God was there. But Israel sinned. And the Bible says, and the glory departed. And for 400 years, there was silence. But the question is, where on earth does God live today? Now, now think about that. Where on earth does God live today? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, listen to what it says. Or do you not know that your body, your body is the temple? Oh, your body is the temple. This is the word of God. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You know where on earth God lives? If you're saved. If you're a child of God. That's why you can, somebody says I'm saved, but they have no evidence. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, it's different. It's different. So you know where on earth God lives? If you're saved, he lives right inside of you. Your body is the temple. That's the word of God. It's a, our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul was talking about. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he was talking about Christ in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. You know what it says in 1 Corinthians three sixteen. Look at what it says. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Ooh. Yes, Lord. Okay. My body's your temple. This is where you've come to live in the person of the Holy Spirit. So our body, I know that, do you not know that your body is the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Okay, so when we get saved, we all receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And our body becomes his temple. Now, the Bible says two things. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is riot, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit. Bob, you know why I know that? He's a person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when you get saved, 
all of the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your spirit, in your body, and your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But then why does he say to be filled with the Spirit? Because while we have all of the Holy Spirit, we can quench, we can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can lie to the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible says the reason we need to be filled is that we all leak. You know what I mean? I mean, we, you say, well, Brother Fred, if I got all the Holy Spirit when I was saved, why do I need to be filled? Because you leak. That's exactly why you need to be filled. And, he, and it's a command, by the way. It's a command. It's a command. It says, it doesn't say if you feel like it and you think you need it, be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. There's two Greek imperative commands. Do not be drunk with wine. That's a command. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command. Okay. So we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says we're to surrender. Stay with me. We're to surrender our lives to the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to talk to you. The main thing I want to talk to you about is how you're led by the Spirit. But you've got to understand this. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and you surrender your life, stay with me, to the control of the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit operates through your soul, your mind. The Holy Spirit deals with, speaks to, and controls your mind. Your emotions, the Holy Spirit deals with, speaks to, and controls your emotions, and your will. You see, when, when you get saved and the Holy Spirit fills you, God doesn't throw your mind out the window. He, he says, don't, be, don't have a carnal mind. He gives you a spiritual mind in Jesus. And, and when, when you get saved, God doesn't throw your emotions out the window. But he says, let your emotions be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit fills us. And now, our mind, the way we think, our emotions, the way we feel, and our will, the way we choose, is controlled by the Holy Spirit. It says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Live, yield your life to the Holy Spirit's control. I love Galatians 5.16. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. Now let me say this to you. The Bible didn't say that after you get saved, you will never have the desires of the flesh. You know that is not true. The Bible says the flesh fights against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. However, it says, if you will walk under the spirit's control, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So, the Holy Spirit also gives us the power to be like Jesus. Not only is the Holy Spirit going to direct us through our mind, emotions, and will, but in Galatians 5.22, it says, Now, when you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, this is what your life will look like. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit. Now, wait a minute. Not the fruit of struggling. Not the fruit of striving. Not the fruit of doing the best you can. Not trying harder to please God. No. See, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit bears His fruit through you when you are controlled by Him. The fruit of the Spirit's love and joy and peace and gentleness, peace and long-suffering and kindness. My goodness, love, 
This is the fruit the Spirit bears when you are in control by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Man, everybody wants that. Everybody longs for that. To have a life where there's love and joy and peace. And then kindness. Oh my goodness, it's so easy to be harsh. So easy to be unkind. My God, it says here, but the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Man, we, I think we need a little bit more of that in this world today. In my own life. And gentleness, long-suffering kindness, goodness, faithfulness. All this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, okay. So, we get saved. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our body becomes the temple where the Holy Spirit of God lives, or Christ lives in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we get the power to, to live the Christian life by the Holy Spirit's power producing His fruit. However, now we come to the heart of the issue. We've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's how you make right choices. That's how you prepare for the then and there. See, in the here and now, we have to make right choices. And we, so the only way we can do that is to be led by the Holy Spirit. Not led by our instinct or reason. The Holy Spirit can use our reason. But I'm saying to you, if we're going to live a life that glorifies God and honors Jesus, we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I want to give you these verses, and I hope you'll remember them, and, and you'll reflect on them as you live each day. Romans 8, 14 through 16, this is what it says. This is a very strong verse. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You say, Brother Fred, what's a distinguishing mark of a child of God? Well, one of the, of course, there's the fruit of the Spirit. But he said, you know, one way you know you're a child of God is you're led by the Spirit of God. You're not making choices on your own. You're not determining your steps on your own. But no, you are being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know any other way to interpret this verse than the way it says. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. So you get up on January the 7th, 2018, and you say, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit to lead me today. Holy Spirit, just I, I'm, I'm surrendering to your control, and I want to be sensitive, Holy Spirit, to your leadership. And so you said that as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So Holy Spirit, lead me today as I make choices, take steps. Holy Spirit, lead me today. And it goes on in the next verse and says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But look what spirit we have. But you received the spirit of adoption by which you cry, Our Father. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus saved me and that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And I thank you that I received the gift of the Holy Spirit when I was saved. And I just want to thank you, Lord, that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit uh, can bear the very fruit of the life of Jesus. He can give me the power to live.
the Christian life. Love, joy, and peace. But Father, today, I need to be led by the Holy Spirit. This is a sinful world. There are many things clamoring, many thoughts coming into my mind. Many things clamoring for my attention. God, today, I desperately need to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a verse in Jeremiah that I just uh, was reading through a devotional book, and it really spoke to me. I want you to listen to this verse. It'll be on the screen. Oh, Lord, I know that the way of a man is not in himself. Now, one translation of that is this. Oh, Lord, I know that the way of a man is not, not uh, the way of a man that he's not his own. Now, listen to this verse, the rest of that verse. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Lord, a man uh, is not capable, apart from you, of directing his own steps. And I promise you, that is exactly right. Left to ourselves, without the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we'll miss it every time. We'll mess up every time. We're not able to make decisions on our own that will glorify God. Now, the Bible makes that clear, that the Holy Spirit's got to be in control of our mind and emotions. Look at Proverbs 21, 2. Look at what it says. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Well, I, I think this is right for me. I, I've thought it through, and this is the best thing for me. He said, well, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. And then he says, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Then he says in Proverbs 12, 15, he says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Then God says it again in Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the way of death. So the Bible is absolutely clear that left to ourselves, we cannot make right choices and, do, um, and, and, and make the right steps. It is not in our own ability to walk in the steps that God wants us to walk. You say, well, why is that, Brother Fred? I mean, I'm, I'm educated. I mean, I, I've, I've, got, I've been trained. And God doesn't go by, be, uh, around your mind. God changes your mind, gives you the mind of Christ, and works through your mind and your reason. But, but why, why is it that we have to be led by the Spirit? All right, look at these verses. It's very important. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Oh, Lord, you, your thoughts are different than mine. He said, yeah. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor your ways, they're not my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Oh, I need to be led by the Spirit because His thoughts, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. Okay, so it's clear. Now, let's get down to how are you led by the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a great promise in John 10, 3 through 5. Jesus is talking, and of course, Jesus comes to live in us in the person of the Holy Spirit, and he's called the Spirit of Christ. But listen to what Jesus said. Talking about the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. 
And he leads them out. Okay. When he brings out his own sheep, he's go before, he goes before them. Now listen to this. And the sheep follow him. Are you ready? For they know his voice. So here's the good shepherd leading his sheep. That's us. And they know his voice. We know his voice. He said they know his voice. They will by no means follow a stranger. But they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. And so there's a promise. That as God's children we will hear his voice. And if it's not his voice, we will know it's a foreign voice or a strange voice. Now, I'm not talking about God speaking to you audibly, but I am talking to you about the Holy Spirit speaking to your spirit. And that's exactly the way God leads us. Now, you say, well, Brother Fred, how do you, how do you determine a God's voice? And I told you this many times, and I'll tell you many more times, is the best definition ever heard. And I knew it to be true, but I couldn't, couldn't put any, any, any uh, anchor on it, was this. You've got to understand the nature of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And a lamb is a gentle, the most gentle, gentle creature. And it has to be led, but it's gentle. And, 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 and just, a, just a little lamb, it's a gentle being. So, therefore, if, the Holy, if, uh, if uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God, then when Jesus speaks, he's going to speak gently. But also it says about the Holy Spirit, <laughs> that the Holy Spirit is a dove. Well, the dove is the most gentle of birds. They can be up in a tree, and you can walk under them, and if there's a good many of them in there, they'll fly away and just absolutely scare you to death because they are easily spooked. And so now I've come to this conclusion. If Jesus is the Lamb of God and the Holy Spirit's the dove of God, when, they, when God speaks to me, he speaks gently, he speaks clearly, he speaks with conviction, he speaks uh, in a way that you can understand, but he speaks gently, clearly, firmly, in an understandable way, and, 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 and you don't feel uh, harassed, pushed, condemned, i got to do it. You don't feel pressure. No, I, I just know this, that the voice of the Lord, he speaks gently and clearly, yet firmly, but lovingly. So that, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Gently, clearly, firmly, lovingly. But what's the devil? <laughs> He's a roaring lion. My heavens. Have you ever heard a roaring lion? I heard one on television one time. Scared me slapped to death. I'm in a roaring lion. You ever heard a lion roar? You know why he roars? To scare all of the prey in the jungle. To put them under pressure to create in them fear oh so how do I recognize the stranger's voice how do I recognize the voice of the enemy the devil oh he's a roaring lion he harasses he'll harass you he'll push you he'll condemn you he'll make you think 
that you, you better do this now or you are going to miss God and you'll be never, God will never speak to you again. Listen, if you feel driven, pushed, harassed, urged to do it now, just compelled, I am telling you, this is not the voice of a lamb. This is not the voice of the dove. It is the enemy trying to create fear in you. If you don't do this or say this or accomplish this, then you are going to miss God and God's going to be through with you and he, works, he motivates you by fear. So, so I'm listening every day, sensitive to the voice of the Spirit of God. God speaks gently, clearly, firmly, lovingly. I, I'm listening. I know my father, I know the voice of, of the Lord, but boy, if I feel harassed or pushed or condemned or anxious or compelled, uh-uh. No, I just need to back away and say, "This is not the voice of my Father. It's the voice of a stranger. This is not the voice of the Lamb. This is not the voice of the Dove. This is the voice of the Lion." Now, let me give you a couple of guidelines on how God will lead us by his spirit, okay? You've got to understand this. Uh, we underestimate, we underestimate, and I, I don't think the early Christians did, especially once the Bible was interpreted into the language of the people. I don't think they ever under, underestimated how important this book was for daily life. In other words, well, I just wish God would write it down so I would know what to do. Guess what? He did. He did. Oh, yeah, he did. And, you know, I found out this about all these years that I've been preaching, is that uh, the Bible touches every subject. The Bible covers every area. There's not one area of your life that there's not wise counsel in the Word of God. Oh, sometimes it's absolutely clear, and you don't even have to think about it another time. That's, it. That's God's will, I know. But at other times, we, we, we struggle. We struggle. Well, is that the voice? You know, is that, is that what God is saying to me? Is that the way God is leading me? Now, listen. You need to know this book. I'm telling you, you need to know it. Man, because, listen, there are truths, there are principles in this book that help you make decisions every day. And the Holy Spirit will remind you of that verse. Now, now just listen to these three verses right here. In Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my what? Feet. And it is a light to my... Your word is going to give me light. Be a, light, a lamp so I can walk in the way I ought to walk. And it's going to be a light to my path. Have you ever tried to get to the bed when all the lights are off? There are things in your room you never knew were there. My soul, you'd stump your toe, you hit that, and you hit the other. Because you ain't got any light. This book is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. You've got to know it. Just read it. Read it. Read the Psalms. Read the Proverbs. Read the New Testament. Just read it. Go back and, and learn how God worked in the Old Testament. Just, and, and, then, and then Psalm 119, 11. You know why? How God, you, he leads us with his word. The Holy Spirit leads us now. He, when he speaks to you, it'll always be in keeping with his word. In Psalm 119, 11, thy word, your word, 
have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you? If you, uh, uh, if you, if you, if something keeps you from this book, you're in trouble. But this book, if you know it, it will keep you from sinning because it'll let you know, hey, that's not right. That's, that's not, that's what the word of God said. I've hidden his word in my heart so that I will know what's right and what's wrong. And so I will not sin against him. See, the Holy Spirit has given us a wonderful guide. Now, I want you to let God write this on the tablet of your heart. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to disobey anything in this book. Well, I know the Bible says I shouldn't do it, but God told me to. You are deceived. No, I'm telling you now, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to disobey anything in this book. It will lead you in the right things to do, but it will warn you about the wrong things to do. So let me just say this. Hide his word in your heart so that when the choice comes or the temptation comes, you'll know, well, I know what the Bible says about that. I know what it says about that. I know. So I'm going to obey God's word. My, My choice is clear. And the Holy Spirit leads you and gives you peace to obey the word of God. There's another verse in Psalm 119, verse 30. Look, look at what it says. In Psalm 119, verse 30. Well, I ain't got that one down. Well, let's move on to the New Testament, all right? How does the Bible, there it is. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. Okay, now, so the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to lead us and guide us. Now, uh, there are a couple of verses in the New Testament that are great principles by which God will lead you. I want you to look at them and I want you to make a note of them and have them where you can look at them carefully. It's found, the first one, is they're found in the book of Colossians. And uh, uh, Holy Spirit will never lead us to disobey God's word. The devil will lie to you and say things have changed. The Bible doesn't mean that today. And that's all lies. That's all lies. The Bible says the word of God is settled forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his earth word will not pass away. All right, so, all right, now I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. So God uses his word uh, to give me guidelines, and he'll never lead me to disobey it, and he'll show me what to do. But here's another thing. Now look at this verse. Whatever you do in word or deed, that's choices. That's everyday deed, everyday living, at work, at home, at school, wherever you are. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, I mean, okay, I feel led to do this. And I got a little, I got a little resistance in my spirit. And it's like the Holy Spirit, the dove is fluttering. And the lamb is making the little noise and says, can you, can you do that in Jesus' name? Can you do that in Jesus' name? I say, no. Then guess what? He says, don't do it. Don't do it. That's a good test. Whatever you do in, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in Jesus' name. Giving thanks for it. Can you thank God for it? Giving thanks to the Father through him. 
And then it goes on and says in verse 23, boy, this, this applies to your everyday life. This applies to your marriage. It applies to your job. It applies to your schoolwork. It applies to everything. Whatever you do, I'm telling you, I've looked that word whatever up, and it always means whatever. I can't get around it. But Lord, isn't there exception to whatever? He said, no. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it heartily to the Lord and not to men. When you go to work, you're not doing no job for your boss or your employer. You're doing it to the Lord. You know, I only worked in, good gracious, I got a penny. I only worked in retail one time, and that was at Christmas, you know, uh, at, at J.C. Penney in Rock Hill. And, and, and I was selling men's shirts, and boy, I, I'd, I'd straighten the shirts, but when the boss wasn't around, I'd just piddle around, you know. But, buddy, when he came, you never seen a man work as hard as I worked. Because, you know, I didn't realize I was working selling those shirts to the Lord, not to him. And it better please, it's more important than pleasing God than pleasing him. Think about that in your own job. Whatever you do in your own marriage, whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not to men, for you serve the Lord Christ. And then... You know, when you make choices and uh, you're, you're making decisions and the Holy Spirit is leading you, then you know what? If you make the right choices, guess what happens? Colossians 3.15 becomes a reality in your life. And let the peace of God, let the peace of God rule in your heart to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. In other words, I'm going to do this but uh, it's, I can't do it in Jesus' name. I can't do it heartily to the Lord. I got a little, I don't have, I'm troubled about it. And the Holy Spirit's saying, the, the dove and the lamb are saying no. And I say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And so I don't do it. And then I have peace. I have peace. But then he, he says, over here, it's clear. He says, now, uh, I, I know you ain't got chapter and verse for this, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to do this. I want you to call this person and encourage him. Or I want you to seek this person out and tell them that you are praying for them. I want you to do an act of kindness to this person. I want you just to send them a, a, a gift or something like that. And you say, well, hey, <laughs> that's in keeping with the word of God. And, and you do it and you get such a peace about it. Just such a peace about it. You know, when you do not do what the devil tries to get you to do, you have peace. And when you do what God tells you to do, you have peace. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Now I'm going to close with this. Now, here's the question. What do you do when you mess up? <laughs> Does anybody in here hear God's voice clearly every time and do exactly what God wants you to do? Is there anybody here that does it? I didn't think so. If you did, I was going to say you just did not hear God then. But what if you mess up? Let me give you a verse. Psalm 37, 23, and 24. I'm so glad we have such a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of love. And he so wants us to do his will. His spirit is so faithful to lead us. But when we stumble and fall, it says, the steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. He's led by the Spirit. And he delights in his way. 
Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Man, that makes me want to shout. Because sometimes I fall. I'm not as spiritual as you are. Sometimes I fall. But you know what? God knows I'm not perfect, but he knows if your heart's toward him, and if he knows if you're trying to please him. He knows if you're listening, but sometimes we're hard of hearing, and we stumble and fall. But it says, though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down. The Lord upholds him with his hand. One of the most moving stories I've ever heard was told by my good friend who's now in heaven, a great man of God named Mike Gilchrist. I tell you, this man loved God and walked with God. Spoke many good things into my life. He was a teenager. He'd, he'd become a Christian. But his daddy was a drunk. And he was an embarrassment to Mike. So one night his friends dropped him off after they had been out doing some good things that they should do. And there was his daddy laying in the driveway, face sideways, drunk. Mike said he just got angry. And he went over to his father and put his foot on his head. And was just going to push down on it. And his father looked at him, up, up, up at him and said, Son, don't push me down any further. I'm down as far as I can go. I'm going to tell you something. When you stumble and fall, God doesn't come up to you and say, I'm just going to. I know you're down, but I'm just going to push you down a little further. Uh -uh. God says, I'm going to lift you up and uphold you by my right hand. Now, that's good news, y'all. Because we want to please God and we want to be led by the Spirit. But our Father loves us enough. When we miss Him, He's there to lift us up. And thanks be to God.